Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. Well, good morning. I uh, was uh, emailing a friend last night and said uh, what I was doing today, and I said in my email, I really hope I don't become a blubbering wreck. This will not help the people I'm speaking to. So that's not the plan, although uh, as I warned the congregation at Ben's funeral, I can't promise I won't have a moment. But you'll forgive me, won't you, if that happens? Good. Thank you, Paul. I knew somebody would forgive me. (laughs) For uh, one reason or another, over the last three years, I've become extremely familiar with hospitals. I can uh, tell you where the orange and the purple zones are. I can direct you to Bermondsey Ward and to um, the Tower Block. And uh, if um, I only have one route to get to hospitals. If you need to get to a hospital, your best bet is to talk to Owen. Okay, he knows all the back doubles to get you there. Once you're there, I'm your man. Okay, I can navigate a hospital with ease now. And, uh, and hospitals are, are sort of strange places. I often think that when I walk into a hospital. You uh, have such a huge variety of the mundane and the routine and the deeply poignant. One of our couples in the church this morning is currently waiting for a call from the hospital to say, OK, we've got a bed, you need to come in and be induced. So a baby will arrive today within our congregation, possibly today, if labour if labor goes well. Isn't that interesting? The anniversary of Ben's death, we may have a new life in the church. And uh, it's, I've often thought that hospitals are these strange places where you get huge celebration, birth, the message that you're all clear, or the reality that actually, you know, this person's not going to make it. And hospitals can be places of huge joy and deep, gut-wrenching grief. And we all grieve. Some of us have experienced the grief of losing someone, and every one of us will. The word to describe what happens to us when we lose something or someone we loved is bereaved. And that word is from an old Germanic word. It literally means to have been robbed or plundered by force or to have had something ripped away from you and stolen. That is a powerful description of actually what it feels like, isn't it? For those of us who've experienced grief, that is what it's like. It affects us in different ways and at different times. There are recognised feelings and responses that will be common to many people when they go through grief. My guess is that at some point, Hannah, James and Emma have felt a variety of these things. Denial, numbness, anger, confusion, depression, acceptance. If you haven't yet lost someone close to you, 
you've probably at some point or another asked yourself the question, how would I cope? Have you ever done that? I used to do that, I think, before I'd lost somebody that I loved. I would, I would go through that, that question, what, how will I cope when she goes? How will I cope? Grief is so deeply painful that we can do all sorts of things to try and protect ourselves from it. We try distraction by just doing other things or or taking on a project, watching mindless TV, anything to try and distract ourselves from the pain. Well-meaning friends might encourage us when we've lost someone to remember the good times They tell us it's a blessing that her suffering's over. They say, oh, she's gone to a better place. Or, well, he had a good innings. And all of those things, they they may be true, but if we're honest, when we are right in the middle of the muck and the bullets of grief, none of those things really prove effective medication for the raw pain or the dull, enduring ache. All of us have grieved, do grieve, will grieve. And as well as this sort of worst type of grief, the grief of losing a loved one, actually we grieve quite a lot of the time about other things. An ended relationship that was precious to us that suddenly ends. Grief over lost opportunities or the thought of wasted years behind us. Grief over the loss of an occupation or a job. Grief as we get older and we begin to lose our physical prowess and ability to do the things we used to be able to do. Now, grief hits us actually in very different ways and about different things. But the one thing you can be sure of is that you will face it and that it's common to all of us. So what about when Christians grieve? Should it be distinct? And is it different? Well, in some ways, through the worship this morning, through what Owen said, and particularly through what Emma said, my sermon's been preached for me. But it is prepped, and so I'm going to deliver it. Sorry. (laughs) Yes, I think the answer to that is yes. The grief of the Christian is distinct. And it should be different. When Paul, who was a great apostle of the early church, wrote to a young church in a place called Thessalonica, who had experienced the loss of a number of their members to death, he said this, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you may not grieve as others do who are without hope. Paul opens up for these early Christians the prospect of a different type of grieving now that they're Christians. Now, he doesn't say you won't grieve or that you shouldn't grieve. He's clear that they will still grieve, but it can now be a grief with hope. So how is it that I, as a Christian, am able to grieve with hope? Well, I think there are many reasons, but I want to give you three. But before I do, I just want to unpack that word hope because 
The way that we use that word hope is not actually the way that it's intended in this passage. So we will talk about, oh, I hope it's going to be sunny tomorrow. I hope, I hope the weather holds. I hope I'm going to get this for Christmas. I hope. It's a sort of a vague longing, if you like. I hope it's going to work out. But actually, this word in the New Testament doesn't mean that. It means to anticipate the expectation of something that is sure and certain. And in fact, the words that we use, and in fact, we will probably use these words tomorrow when we scatter Ben's ashes tomorrow, the words that the Church of England will use at that type of committal are ensure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That certainly is the basis, one of our basis of hope. But actually, the hope of where Ben is now, that helps us, but it doesn't always help with the deep grief that we feel. So what does the Bible say, and what is distinct about the Christian's hope when they grieve? So here's the first one. I, as a Christian, can grieve with hope because God will be with me. Jesus said he would not leave us as Christians as orphans. This is what he says, his words recorded in the Gospel of John. If you love me, he says to his disciples as he reaches the end of his earthly life, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Or sometimes that word is translated another comforter to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells within you. That's why, for the Christian, there is hope in grief, and it is distinct, because the promise for the Christian is that God is with you and in you. That Jesus didn't leave us as orphans when he went to heaven, but he sent one who the world wouldn't recognise, but you will recognise and you will know him because he's with you and he's in you. For the Christian, God will be with you. The comforter will be with you. He will be with us in our tears, in our confusion, in our anger, in our loneliness. And the God who promises that to be with me is the one who in Jesus wept at the grave of his friend Lazarus despite knowing what was about to happen. Jesus knew what was going to happen to Lazarus. He knew he was going to raise him from the dead. And yet that famous verse in the Bible that most of us would know, the shortest verse that there is, Jesus wept. Why? When he knew what was going to happen. Because in his humanity at that time, he was experiencing grief just like everybody else. And he looked at the grief that everyone around Lazarus's tomb was experiencing, and he felt it deeply. It describes in the Bible, it says he was deeply moved. This is the Jesus whose spirit dwells with the Christian. It is the Jesus who says, I weep with you. Yes, I know too 
that there is resurrection life for Ben, but I also know what your pain is like, and I weep with you. The promise of the Bible for the Christian is that the Holy Spirit is with us and in us in our grief. I don't have to be my own protector as a Christian. Remember I just talked about that pain that grief engenders in us. We would do anything to avoid it and so we try to become our own protector. Let me just go and run a marathon in for that person. Let me work towards that date when we'll go to the cemetery and we'll lay the flowers. Nothing wrong with all of those things. Let me just go and see a film. Let me go for a walk. Again, none of those things are wrong. They can be healthy, healthy tools to deal with our grief. But they will never deal with the nub of the issue. They will never take away the depth of the pain. But for the Christian, the promise is that I don't have to try and be my own protector anymore. Because he is my protector. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There was a hymn writer who wrote these words. When through the deep water he calls you to go, the rivers of grief will not thee overflow, for he will be with thee in trouble to bless and sanctify to thee thy deepest distress. Christian, he will be with you when you go through grief. Some of you who come here regularly will know that I have a particular Christian hero called George Muller, who was a pastor in Victorian times of a thriving church and also established five huge orphanages for which he never asked for a penny in money but just prayed the money in. And he, uh, at one stage in his life, lost his wife. And uh, he, in his diary entry for that day, he writes this. I fell on my knees and thanked God for her release and for having taken her to himself. And I asked the Lord to help and support us. Now, the next night, George Muller leads a prayer meeting, the normal weekly prayer meeting in his church. I'm not sure that I could do that, the day after I lose my wife, but George Muller, he's back in church the next day leading a prayer meeting. And this is what he says. His words at that prayer meeting were recorded for us. He talks to his congregation and he describes what his thinking had been as he faced the imminent death of his wife, Mary. And this is what he said to that Victorian congregation. I said to myself, if it is really good for me, My darling wife will be raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God. And all this springs, as I've often said before, from taking God at his word and believing what he says. See, through faith, the Christian can have complete confidence that the comforting, all-knowing God is with us and in us and he remains good and his plans for our enduring lives remain good. God will be with me when I grieve. Second reason why I think the Christian can have hope when they grieve. God will put people around me. 
We've heard that from Emma uh, already this morning. We've heard it from Owen's account of really just the way the church has responded. And I know that many friends and family have also done that too. For the Christian, he will bring other people to you who will console you and stand by you and comfort you with the comfort that they themselves have received in the past. God has given the world and particularly the Christian the gift of the church for our times of mourning so that we're not left to grieve alone and so that we are not left to grieve without hope. A few days before Ben died, Owen and I were sitting with him in intensive care and it was the day, in fact, when the consultant had come round and really just told him the very painful news, we don't think you're going to make it then. And until that point, I don't think Ben probably had realised that that was going to be a, a possibility. He'd always held on in faith that God could heal And uh, still, we believe that today, God can heal. But at that particular moment, Ben realised that the likelihood was that he was going to die. And Owen and I sat uh, with him, uh, there were just the three of us, and uh, he looked at us. This is my moment. He looked at us and he said, I need you to look after Emma. What was he doing at that point? He wasn't really just saying to Owen and I, right, you guys, you need to look after Emma. What he was saying was he was saying to his two joint elders of the church, you need to make sure they look after Emma. And uh, he didn't just ask, I can tell you that. He told us. He told us. And then, this is the sort of guy that Ben was, having just had that news, he then gets out his phone, which he's still somehow able to operate, and he sends an email to work to find out what's going to be the package that Emma will get when I die. Isn't that just amazing? What a guy. What a guy. But at that moment, Ben knew that the church was part of the answer to grief, because at that very moment, Ben was grieving. Ben was grieving that he was going to be robbed of his family and his family were going to be robbed of him. At that moment, it became clear, I'm not going to be there for them anymore. And he grieved. And what did he do at that moment? He turned to the church. And also he turned to the Lord, because another story that Owen told at Ben's funeral was when I was sitting with him one evening in intensive care again, not long before he died. And I told him when I arrived what time I would need to leave that day. And there was a clock in the ward. And he said, Phil, I'm finding it difficult not to watch the hands get closer to the time you're going to leave. And then he caught himself. And he said, no. He said, no, I'm not going to do that. Because it's not you I need to look to, is it? It's the Lord. Isn't that amazing? He caught himself. Ben, in his own grief, looked to the Lord and looked to the church and he found comfort and consolation so that he did not grieve without hope. And in fact, the story that we've often referred to uh, 
is the one that, that Owen mentioned a couple of weeks ago when two or three hours before he died, Ben lifted his hands and said, thank you, Father. And then two hours before he died, he said, as Emma and the children and I sat with him, pray, pray. And he lifted his hands. Ben turned to the Lord in his grief and he turned to the church. And that meant that his own death was not without hope for him either. Just as it is not without hope for us as Christians. For the Christian, God provides the church as the context where he can extend his comfort to his children. Every practical kindness, every shoulder offered, every meal cooked, every encouraging sentence and every piece of gentle and wise counsel offered has been prompted and enabled by the Holy Spirit. Because the church is the place where God dwells. And right at the start of the Bible, in the first three chapters, God says, it's not good for man to be alone. God gives us each other, and he gives us the gift of the church so that we are enabled to grieve with hope. Final point. And this one can sound like pie in the sky when you first hear it. God will enable my mourning to turn to dancing. King David is recorded in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms of writing a song, a psalm, where he writes this. You turn my mourning into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. The hope for the Christian is that God is able to transform mourning into joy. How? How? Through drawing me, even in my pain, to worship. What is worship for the Christian? It's not just singing songs. You know, we tend to call that worship. Oh, it's the time of worship when we sing our songs. Song, singing songs is part of worship, for sure. But that's not what worship particularly is. It's not the definition of worship. To sing is part of it, but it's not the full definition. Worship for the Christian, I believe, is this. It's when the Holy Spirit gives me the ability to have my gaze drawn to God who is more lovely and more patient and more gentle and more powerful and more in control and more attentive to me and wiser and kinder and bigger and brighter and better than anything else in the universe. And as the Holy Spirit draws my gaze towards him again, I'm captivated by him. I'm captivated by him again. And, I'm, and I tell him how wonderful he is and how grateful I am that I belong to him and how dependent I am on him and how much I love him. The Holy Spirit enables me, even in grief, to be drawn into worship. How on earth do I do that? Well, let's not pretend it's easy. It's a sacrifice of praise sometimes. It's a choice. 
Uh, Matt Redman is a modern-day songwriter. He writes quite a lot of the songs that we would sing here on a Sunday. And one of the songs that he's written recently about worship is, sometimes it's an easy choice, sometimes it's a sacrifice. One of his um, best-known songs, a song called um, Blessed Be Your Name, has the line, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. But also, blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering, when there's pain in the offering, blessed be your name. That line, blessed be your name, is actually taken from the book of Job. And in the Old Testament, the book of Job really recounts the life of a man who deeply, deeply suffered. It's a troubling book. It's an insightful book. It's a book that makes you question and think and worship. And in this book, it records that Job loses everything. He loses his family. He loses his children. They're killed in a storm. He loses all his wealth and his possessions. The whole lot goes. And after that's happened, the Bible says that Job fell on his knees and said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away and blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. That's worship. He's not dancing yet. He's not singing. But Job worships at that point. He says, you've taken away. Blessed be your name. I may not be able to dance in my, my grief at times, particularly when it is new and when it is raw. And I may not feel wonderful, exulting joy. And sometimes all I might be able to do is mumble the words, you've given and you've taken away. But somehow, God, I choose to say, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. And for the Christian, the hope is that although I need to make a choice to worship, and although it will feel like a sacrifice, because I have the Holy Spirit in me, the Bible says that the Spirit in us cries out, Abba, Father. Do you know what that means for you as a Christian, if you're a Christian here today? It means that when you face the prospect of grief and you think, I don't think I can even utter a word to God at the moment, because you have his Holy Spirit in you, the Spirit in you will begin to cry, Abba, Father. And you will begin to join in behind his slipstream. For the Christian, grief is not without hope because the Holy Spirit enables us to worship. In Psalm 34, David writes these words. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and to the crushed in spirit. Emma described how she remains brokenhearted. And yet she also describes the comfort that's come through the nearness of the Lord. And if you know Jesus as Saviour and Lord, then you also 
can be assured that when the day of grief comes for you, he will be near you too. And if you don't have that assurance, then actually, when you go through grief or contemplate it, God is near you. That is a time to reach out. Many people do find God in the most difficult circumstances, and perhaps that's because the Bible says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. In the book of Proverbs, there's this very odd verse that most of us would not like the sound of. It says it's better to go to a house of mourning and a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living must take this to heart. In some ways, it can be better for us to have moments like this than to have a whoopsie-doo party. Nothing wrong with that. Why? Because in those moments, when we are feeling broken-hearted and crushed in spirit, it's almost like the veil between earth and heaven is at its thinnest. And I can reach out, and he will reach down And I will meet him in my grief. And then I'll find that he's here for me, not just in my grief, but through the rest of my days. Christians can grieve with hope. Let's pray together. While I pray, the musician's going to come up. We're going to sing a couple of songs just to finish. So while those guys come up, let's just pray. Let's just have a moment, actually, of of quiet reflection, and then I'll lead us in prayer. Father God, I confess that I often want to protect myself from the pain of grief and to find ways to distract myself from it. And at moments like this and days like today feel painful and sometimes I'd even rather avoid them. But actually, days like today are an example of your kindness and grace to us and to humanity. Because days like today remind us that we are mortal and human and we will face grief and we will face our own mortality, but that you are near to the brokenhearted and you are close when we feel crushed. And so we thank you that this very day we, in our pain, in our remembrance, in our grief still, can reach out to you and know that you will reach down and grasp us firmly. We thank you that for the Christian, the message of grief is that it is not without hope because you are with us, because you put others around us in the church, and because you promise to turn our mourning into joy through the Holy Spirit you've given us. And so we pray for hope as our grief continues. We pray particularly for Emma and the children and for the wider family and friends represented here this morning, that you will continue to bring comfort and strength and your presence to them and to us. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team or upcoming events, please visit our website which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com 
or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.